Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. I'm Justin Thind. I'm here with my co-host Corey Robinson. Uh, today we're going to be talking about last weekend's loss at Purdue and then previewing this upcoming weekend's uh, home game against Maryland. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing good. It's a pretty good uh, day. We got some basketball recruits, but we're going to stick to football and try to get the bad taste out of everyone's mouth from a Purdue game that I guess I, I think Justin and I both kind of felt this game being kind of a trap dangerous game and not because they weren't prepared, just because they got away with a few uh, things throughout the year and it eventually caught up to them. But but I think uh, now Michigan State's uh, maybe got more attention to detail on things that have always been there and come out this weekend and see what changes the staff makes. Yeah, for sure. I know going into the game, the advanced um, metrics that I tweeted out when I tweeted out the last podcast, it gave Purdue a 65 or 68% chance of winning. And I know a lot of people were shocked by that, but it's it's kind of just the way the two teams were crafted. Um, Michigan State not having a pass defense and Purdue having David Bell. Looking at this game like a few weeks ago and when we kind of did like the midseason recap and things of that nature, I kind of thought that maybe Michigan State was going to end up getting away with having bad cornerback play just because Aiden O'Connell wasn't the greatest quarterback and Sean Clifford was looking a little unhealthy and just it, it seemed like they had gotten past like the Western Kentucky and Miamis of the world with like the vertical offenses and the, and the, and the edge speed. But then Aiden O'Connell just came out and, and completed a ridiculous percent of passes and Michigan state's cornerback play was as bad as it's been all year. Guys were banged up, no pressure on the opposing offense. And it was just a perfect storm. Then, even though we're just sticking to Purdue right now, but just real quick, Michigan State now plays Rakeem Jarrett next week. And then they play Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, and then rounding it out against Jahan Dotson, who's, who's very elite. So it's looking a little more scary, especially after that Purdue game of what this team's going to be able to do against those receivers. But Corey, I guess what specifically gave Michigan State trouble in that game and allowed like 400, 500 yards of passing offense? Uh, I guess, I mean, terrible third down defense. Uh, they didn't get much pressure uh, on the third down plays, but if you look back, they had 11, I believe Purdue had 11 third down conversions. And without knowing the numbers, I would say easily seven or eight of those had to have been third and eight plus. And they picked them up constantly. <laughs> it's like, you can't do that. Like that's, that that's a recipe for disaster and then some, and then also um, Michigan state's done a good job. Cause I mean, giving up these passing yards and being a terrible third down defense isn't new for them. Uh, but what they've been able to do, uh, the first eight weeks that they didn't do last week was uh, turning, still getting strong defense in the red zone and holding teams to field goals, where Purdue, I think, got four touchdowns somewhat early, where uh, if Michigan State even holds them to two field goals and two touchdowns, then Michigan State still probably wins that game. Uh, so 
there's just the recipe of disaster there, honestly, as a lot of things that we've seen from them on defense. Uh, and it just eventually it was going to catch up to them and uh, Purdue give them credit. They made the plays they had to make in the red zone, which obviously isn't always easy against the Michigan State defense, even though everything else is very easy against Michigan State defense in passing. So they, they'll have to turn the corner, look at themselves in the mirror, because when you win the games, maybe you can uh, be like, oh, that's fine. We're not giving up touchdowns. We're 8-0. and So you can ignore some of the problems that have always been there. So now you saw Mel Tucker in his press conference actually say, I'm going to get as involved as I can into this, the scheme this week and see what we need to be doing to uh to make that change so i guess that brings us to maryland honestly yeah i mean part of the the issue was like if you're not going to be able to cover anybody even if you're not bringing pressure like they were dropping like six seven people into coverage on a lot of these third downs and still weren't able to to stop the pass so at some point i would like to see pressure just to change things up and not just keep trying the same thing that wasn't working. I know in the past, um, especially in the Miami game and Western Kentucky, like a lot of those yards were just annoying to to see come to fruition because it was Michigan State playing 12, 13 yards back, and they were just giving up hitch route after hitch route, and the um, opposing team would march it down the field. And that was a lot of what happened this game too. But the other thing that was unsettling was so I don't have the exact plays charted, so I don't know the exact proportion, but let's say that 70% of the completed passes were of that fashion. The other 30% they did try to kind of have a press on David Bell and, and some of these guys, and then they ended up just giving up 30-yard completion. So to me, I don't see like anything working. Like If, if they don't press, they're just not athletic and the footwork isn't good enough for them to recover and, and step up on a hitch. If they're playing cushion coverage, if they're pressing, they just simply get beat deep. Like they're just not, a lot of these corners just aren't very good. So it, it, there's not really a quick fix in terms of how to line up the pre-snap coverage of, Oh, you just got to move them up and they'll be fine. It's, it's not that easy. I think what it, what it really has to be um, looked, what really has to be looked at is what can we do to give the quarterback maybe a different window to throw. So I'm just thinking maybe blitzing would be a good idea here next week, at least at a higher clip. Yeah. And they, they had success the few, the very few times that they did blitz Purdue. Uh, That's when he made the quicker decisions than he wanted to and didn't have the success. And then, I mean, too, I think some of it you can look at, I think Michigan State was lacking physical corners that game, and you didn't really see Ronald Williams much. He was uh, missed most of the game uh, with his injury. I think it's a back injury. And then uh, Mark Lowry, where he's been hurt most of the year, yeah. but when he's been out there, he's been by far the most physical corner right. and most fluid corner. So, like, I guess Michigan State doesn't have enough physical, fluid defensive backs at the corner position right now. Uh, and the, the two guys that are maybe the the best in that department, uh, Mark Lowry, he's missed a lot of time this year with injury. That, that guy needs the 
hopefully have a healthy off season where maybe he can take a step next year. And then I've thought Ronald Williams has gotten better. Like he's still not a lockdown by any stretch, but he does a good job being a little bit more physical than uh, Chester Kimbrough who struggles, especially against bigger receivers. And then uh, Brantley who played injured, you give him a lot of credit, but I mean, he's still, uh, a pretty thin, skinny, uh, true freshman corner. So that's a lot to ask to have him guard uh, David Bell. But yeah, so Brantley has shown flashes, especially the interception, the Michigan game, and he does what he's asked to for the most part. But you can kind of tell that he's like a year away, like an off season away. So it's not his fault that he's being asked to play so much so soon. That's more of um, just product of the environment of them not having any cornerbacks that can really like keep Brantley off the field. So Lowry has been good, um, at least in terms of physicality, but he's always hurt. Williams has gotten better. Um, Yeah. I would say he's probably their best overall cornerback, but even then there's still some changes I'd like to see with his technique, but Chester Kimber, there's just not, not many good things for me to say there. That's yeah. You just got to be a better cornerback than that at at this point. Like that. And anytime I see him in coverage, I I just immediately I'm thinking if I'm the opposing quarterback, I'll just throw it up in in the vicinity of whoever he's covering. And that's going to be a sure, sure. First down. That's how bad it's gotten with him. But yeah. yeah, And what was wild though, is like, it seemed like, Nebraska Western Kentucky Rutgers game maybe Kimbrough looked like he was taking that step forward because he he started out bad the first uh three games and then he looked like he played good for three games and now he's played three bad games in a row that were probably worse than his first three yep uh so so maybe if we're going with uh with uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some a pattern here maybe yeah. maybe we're about to see <laughs> some of the greatest games. defensive back play <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah he, he is he's struggled I think his issue is always gonna be against bigger wide receivers stronger guys so that's where it's really key where uh you need Ronald Williams and Lowry on the field to be able to take on those bigger receivers and at least if nothing else put him in a more comfortable matchup. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know um, moving gears to the offense a bit. I know that um, there are some people on Twitter that I kind of saw saying, Oh, why didn't Kenneth Walker, your Heisman front runner, get the ball more in the second half. So I, I, I can see why people would say that. And even when they were down two touchdowns, I guess they maybe still could have given him the ball, but I don't know. I can see them not using the running back um, in a traditional sense down two touchdowns in the second half. So let's talk about when they were down one touchdown in the second half. That was a total of six plays. And in those six plays, Walker was handed the ball three times. That's a 50% usage rate for Walker when it was a one score game in the second half. And I don't think you can really ask for much more than that. If, If you do kind of take issue with why Walker didn't get the ball more in the second half. I guess I would look to blame it on the defense for never getting off the field and giving up a score every single time Michigan State got close as opposed to the play calling. So that's that's really the only thing I wanted to add there because for the most part, the offense played pretty well. Yeah, I don't take any or put any blame on the offense. I think obviously 
you could have done a couple things differently, but overall, I I think the offense did enough to win that game. It's just your defense eventually at some point has to get off the damn field and third down, like because even late uh, when they had the the controversial interception in the goal line, Michigan State was able to get it back, you know, to that eight point game, but then and pin them back a little deeper. And then Purdue just goes right down the field and scores again. So it's like that the defense I take gets the cake for uh, that loss for me. I thought the offense did enough to win the game. At some point, like you knew that like Purdue's running backs just weren't able to to get anything going. Xander Horvath and and those guys just weren't getting it done for them. And you uh, you kind of knew that it was going to be a pass pretty much every play. Um, until maybe when they were trying to really drain the clock on the last possession, but they still just couldn't stop them at all. Like yeah. it was to the point where you're just thinking like, can they just get somebody from the stands to come down and play cornerback for them? And it'd probably be an upgrade over what we were seeing on the field. And I've just never seen anything like that. I don't know if I've ever watched a game in, at least in the big 10 conference where somebody was able to throw for 500 yards on another Big Ten defense, so it was just surreal to see to see that happen, and and the schedule doesn't get any easier in that regard. But um, on the bright side, they, I guess, really, really got a reality check in just how bad their pass defense is, as opposed to just narrowly um, avoiding that honesty by by kind of being strong in the red zone and not actually giving up points and then and then them just kind of being like okay this seems to work to a certain extent now there's no question about it being totally broken and now they can just address it head on maybe make some drastic changes and uh, maybe that can be a good thing a blessing in disguise moving forward as opposed to winning last week's game maybe giving up 120 less yards or something like that and just continuing to do the same thing and then getting absolutely destroyed by Dotson and Olave and Wilson and some of these guys. So maybe, maybe it'll lead to some, some big changes in terms of their strategy. Can't change the scheme too much, but it just their philosophy and, and some of the calls in some of the situations might be a little different. So we'll see, we'll see how they react to it, what they do with this knowledge that they now have on themselves. Um, Obviously can't upgrade talent in the middle of the season, but there's some little things that they can do to kind of make things look a little less atrocious <laughs> playing against Aiden O'Connell's of the world. Um, but yeah, I guess looking at the Maryland game next, um, this is a game that neither of us are worried about too much. I know really the two games this year where I was kind of being like a doomsday person uh, about was Western Kentucky and Purdue last week. Um, Western Kentucky, that was a little bit of an overreaction on my part. Purdue game, I, I would say that I was right. Um, that's probably going to be the end of me being really worried about these games because um, the Penn State game is pretty much a toss-up. The Ohio State one, I think Ohio State will pull that out. So uh, everything here, it's um, neither, no result will surprise you. Um, but this Maryland game, I think, it, think it should be a win for Michigan State. Uh, Corey, I know you watched um, some footage on Maryland, and I have some of the advanced stats here, but you want to 
kind of just go through your observations uh, when you watched them a little bit today? Yeah, so for me, when I was watching, I watched quite a bit of film on their other games. Uh, so we'll start with what Michigan State needs to do on offense uh, and what Maryland has struggled with, I guess. Um, Maryland is terrible uh, at the se- seam, just getting tore up, going up the seam vertically against them. They do a terrible job in this seam. And then uh, they also have a, a habit of uh, losing the running backs and even the tight ends out in the flat. Sometimes uh, they kind of forget they're there almost. So you hopefully you see Michigan State get Kenneth Walker outside and uh, Malik Carr, who had a was a bright spot in the Purdue game late with some of his stuff. I think uh, you utilize those guys in the passing game. And then I saw a lot of. Uh, teams having success with their running backs bouncing the ball outside the tackles, which is exactly what Kenneth Walker wants to do. They haven't done a great job containing. And then uh, if you look at them on offense, their their biggest strength is passing, which is great news for Michigan State uh, since they're so good at defending that. But <laughs> But they also seem to be their own worst enemy. They make a lot of mistakes, uh, a lot of turnovers, and just uh, – you know, they sometimes the quarterback he he tries to do too much with the ball, and then he ends up making a, a costly error. So I think I saw an undisciplined team. I guess is what I would describe Maryland as, and their defense I would consider pretty weak in all facets of the game. So I think that that's a game that Michigan State's offense should really be able to build some confidence on and their defense uh will get to see how some of these changes of philosophy work because maryland does want to pass the ball more than they want to run it yeah and i know uh we were talking before we recorded a good descriptor that you kind of said was they kind of remind you of miami in a way that they kind of have some good athletes uh, across the field but not well coached and they just can't seem to bring it together I know that when Dante Dimas got hurt, it was a big loss for Maryland. You would have kind of thought that Rakeem Jarrett would like double his output almost after that injury, but he's kind of just hovered at the same stat line that he had before Dimas left. So it kind of seems to be a situation where they, they kind of don't seem as scary since Jarrett didn't just pick up his workload and keep it going. It was more of just a drop off um, across the whole offensive unit. And at the same time, they don't really have great advanced metrics that would defy just what common sense the eye test would tell us. Um, Whereas Purdue really did. Purdue did very well in the advanced metrics. Like I said, I think they had a 68% chance of winning. Um, Here, Michigan State has an 89% chance of winning. So kind of the biggest highlights that I see are Maryland on offense when playing against Michigan State's defense will have the advantage in passing offensive efficiency and percent of first downs on first or second down. So Maryland does a pretty decent job getting another first down while on first or second down. So those are really the only two things that Maryland has a better outlook than, than Michigan State. But 
in terms of run efficiency, Michigan State's defense just destroys Maryland's offense in that regard. Points per possession allowed versus scored by Maryland's offense, that's just a huge advantage for Michigan State. And just a whole lot of oh, third and fourth down success. Um, Michigan State's defense is not good in that regard, but Maryland's offense is atrocious in that regard. So just basically summing up this entire scenario of when Maryland's offense is on the field versus Michigan State's defense, you're looking at Maryland having the edge when it comes to passing, Michigan State having a huge edge when it comes to running, um, and Maryland having success on early downs, but having no success on late downs. So basically, if you can hold Maryland to keeping them to the same set of downs on first and second down and force them to a third down, you're in pretty good shape. If you give up eight, nine, 10 yards on the first play or the second play, then you're probably not in good shape. So that's really what it comes down to in that, in that scenario. Now, let's look at when Michigan State is on offense versus Maryland's defense. Michigan State has the advantage in every single metric. They're better um, in terms of the run. They're better in terms of the pass. They're better in terms of um, getting first downs on early downs. They're better at getting first downs in late downs and the expected efficiency per play. So again, I'll tweet these metrics out with the podcast like I did last week, but really Michigan State is just dominating Maryland and all of these advanced metrics other than that scenario I described of Maryland gets a lot of first downs and early downs and Michigan State gives up a lot of those. So that is really going to be the only way that Maryland should be able to hurt Michigan State in regards to the advanced metrics, but everything else pretty much points in Michigan State's favor here. So I guess, Corey, based on what you were saying about they're terrible up the seam and uh, kind of what the advanced metrics show here with Maryland's run defense being very bad, Safe to say that we expect, obviously, a big game out of Kenneth Walker, but for a second straight game, do we see some some buzz, some promise, some optimism from Malik Carr? Uh, Yeah, if I'm I'm, uh, on the coaching staff, I'm putting him out there to try and let him build his confidence off of the good things that he did, and then you can coach him up on some of the things he still struggled with, like he missed the block early in the Purdue game, but you give the credit for the coaches that they, you know, probably talked to him about that and they put him back out there because of the play. I mean, obviously everyone saw the two point conversion, which was great. That was him using his athleticism, but that play he made uh, over, was it a, a tight end screen or something like that, Justin? Yeah, it was uh, where, where he got it and caught it and then took off for 30 yards or something yep. like to, to me, that's a play that there's very, 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 very few tight ends in the country that can do that. So that gave us a glimpse of what Malik Carr can be out of the tight end position. Then you double that with the fact that Maryland struggles against uh, the seam. So it's almost a, a recipe for success to put him out there and really allow him to let his natural abilities take over yeah i mean even if let's say he can't block and let's say he he's he has a big weakness in that regard you still what okay it's like what risk do you run by putting him out there and only using it for pass plays yes you might telegraph your play call a little bit and he's not going to be a totally inadequate blocker like i'm sure he can throw a block or two on an occasional run so 
really, I just want to see him out there much more because this is the opponent where he could do some damage because he had some good momentum from last week that you want to carry out. And because I don't think Maryland can stop him, even if they know it's a pass play. So kind of for those three reasons, um, I know, I know most football coaches will tell you like, okay, if the guy can't block and he's a tight end and he's flexed there, like you're basically giving up your play call, but kind of just what I said a moment ago, like, I don't think they can still, they can still stop him to that regard where you're like, okay, uh, there's Malik Carr. We know it's going to be a pass. Now let's just go ahead and stop him straightforwardly. Like that's not the way their personnel is. Their safeties are probably not going to be big enough to cover him. Linebacker's too slow. It's you're, you're going to kind of finally get to see the reason that Malik Carr was brought in and the vision that Jay Johnson sold him. Uh, if this game kind of goes to, plan or at least to the way that Corey and I are hoping that he's used but yes yeah. and and I think too like uh I, we talked about it before the show with the loss of Jalen Naylor Michigan State's got to find that matchup problem that third matchup problem somewhere else again and Malik Carr can certainly be that at the tight end position where I mean Trey Mosley had a good game uh um Montori Foster did okay but you know with Jalen Naylor you had that three-headed monster for a right. defense to worry about with uh, Kenneth Walker, Reed at the one wide receiver, Naylor at the other wide receiver. So losing Naylor, you kind of lose that third head there, which makes it a lot easier for defenses because when you have them a three-prong attack like that that you really got to worry about, that makes it really hard for a defensive play caller. So, yeah, I think both of us are in agreement that Malik Carr can – step in and be that that third head that third head in the prong or whatever that can uh, really attack a defense and find their vulnerabilities yeah I think plus if you can have a tight end vertically pushing safeties back uh, through through vertical seams and then you can kind of start to use Kenneth Walker and that that concept I kind of talked about a couple of weeks ago where you kind of have a halfback angle or even a mid screen, because then what's going to happen is Kenneth is probably going to just have to make a linebacker miss. And the third level will be further behind when you are kind of taking a tight end and sending them deep, kind of blowing the top off of the defense. So I think it would allow Kenneth more space in the middle of the field. If you're able to have a tight end in the middle of the field, stretching, stretching the defense. So and when you have Jalen Naylor out, like you're saying, then any help you can get to take the top off the defense would be good. So um, uh, you've noticed today that Coglin, uh, in the video that Michigan State posted, he still was not the kicker. It was still, uh, still the walk-on freshman. So it seems like he might be out this game as well, or maybe they just feel that he doesn't need to practice, so why risk it until – until game day. So I guess that's something to monitor there still. Horst uh, doesn't, doesn't look like he'll be back this week. I know some people spreading message board rumors are talking in, in a lot of concrete and certain terms about his future with the program, but it's best to kind of just see how it plays out and what, what decisions he kind of makes and a lot of tricky stuff there. So we'll kind of just see uh, when he feels like he's ready to come back and if he does. And um, Ricky White uh, seems like based on social media noise that 
he might be coming a little closer, but I still think that's a ways away. Um, Title IX stuff to go through, and there's um, probably other stuff, who knows, with the lawsuit. So uh, that one, I, I don't think that Michigan State fans should expect him to return quickly. Um, I know some other guys are banged up. Uh, Panashuk still played despite kind of limping most of the game. Collins is back for the Michigan game. Naylor, the hand injury, uh, doesn't look to be season ending, but no real reason to think he'll be back this week. Uh, any any other kind of status uh, statuses to go through, Corey? I think I think you covered uh, pretty much main the main ones. Obviously, at corner, we'll see can yeah. uh, Williams play oh, Brantley, effectively Brantley's post on Instagram kind of made it yeah. seem like he was done for the year so and so yeah so you need Ronald Williams and Marky Lowry to definitely be able to play <laughs> like yeah so the depth there but uh I mean I think another guy too is you saw Tank Brown come back Itavian Brown uh and Mel Tucker mentioned him about maybe needing to get better athletes at defensive end to get that pass rush going. So hopefully uh, we'll get the chance because he was a guy in the spring that the coaches were really, really gushing about. And then he got the the knee injury where he uh, tore his meniscus. So he's pretty much missed this whole year, but now he's back out there healthy. So that's, that's a name uh, for everybody to, to tuck away and, hope that you get to see him because he's a guy that they're expecting big things out of next year and need big things out of next year, frankly. So uh, definitely a name to keep an eye on would be him at defensive end or stand up edge rusher. Like, like I had pictured going into the season prior to the injury uh, that could be a, I guess a guy in the opposite direction. That's actually coming in healthy. Now that's missed the time that could make an impact. Yeah, I know he would be a welcome addition on the edge, um, especially with Panasonic playing hurt and kind of looking a little ineffective against Purdue, but he's battling and you can't really tell he's hurt in like in the middle of a play. It's more of usually after a play, but he's really t- uh, toughening it out. Um, so if they can get, I know Petrowski has played well and Beasley has played well, but if you can get kind of a fourth really, really solid presence on the edge there, that would really help the rotation as a whole. Um, Simeon Barrow is going to be out this first half against Maryland, but they're pretty good at, at the defensive tackle position to the point where they can kind of sustain that for two quarters, whereas the Cal Halliday first uh, half uh, suspension against Rutgers was harder to kind of sustain, but Maryland is 118th in the nation in EPA per rush. So I don't think that whether it's Simeon Barrow, whether it's Maverick Hansen, Deshaun Mallory, whoever, Jalen Hunt, I, I think any of any of those guys, a combination of could pretty much shut down the Maryland run game. So if there was going to be a game where you had to be out one of your best defensive players, this is the game. So anything else that we want to touch on uh, regarding this Maryland game? I think we got it covered pretty well. I mean, just execute, don't beat yourself, and uh, put the pressure on Maryland to let them beat themselves because they've shown a habit of that if you you make them speed up or uh, do stuff. So 
first day, it's take care of the ball and do your job. Yeah, I would agree. And then assuming they do that, they'll have nine wins on the year and uh, we'll simply need to go one and two um, for the rest of the year to have a 10 win season, including the bowl game. But I think Penn State is a team they can beat. Uh, depends which Ohio State team comes out there. Um, and then I guess it also depends on who the bowl opponent is. But I think 10 wins is a fair expectation where we're at based uh, based on the opponents for the rest of the year. But I would not be surprised if uh, they can make it 11 somehow, which would be incredible. So uh, still a lot of opportunity in front of them. Obviously, they still control their own destiny if they beat Ohio State. But this is uh, an exciting an exciting part of the season here coming up. And hopefully they can learn from that Purdue game, change up a little strategy and, and how they call some plays in certain situations on defense and maybe give Michigan State fans more to cheer about. But all right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode. Um, we'll catch you next week.